This morning I'm going to be reading our passage from the Gospel of John, John chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 1 through 15. Uh, it is the familiar story of the woman at the well. Uh, but before I read that to you, I invite you to bow your heads and join me in prayer. Let us pray. <clears throat> Gracious and loving God, we come to you now with open hearts, hopeful to hear your word. We pray by the grace of your spirit that the words we hear and the thoughts of our hearts will lead us to your will for all of us as your church and for each of us as your children. Dear God, we love you and we thank you for your love. Amen. So again, John chapter 4, beginning with the first verse. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard Jesus is making and baptizing more disciples than John, although it was not Jesus himself but his disciples who baptized, Jesus left Judea and started back to Galilee. But he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. A Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews did not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and you knew who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well, and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. I mentioned to you, excuse me, the pollen's getting me. I mentioned to you a few minutes ago that a lot of our church members are out on spring break this week traveling throughout uh, the state of Florida and other places too, I hope that those people who are on road trips carefully planned out where they were going to stop along the way. Because when I was growing up, if we didn't carefully plan out our stops on road trips, we got in a family argument. For example, we'd be driving maybe on a spring break, spring break trip, and all of a sudden my dad would say, all right, it's getting to be about lunchtime. We need to stop and eat and stretch our legs. Let's stop at McDonald's right up here. My mother would say, can't we just stop somewhere that's a little more nutritious, maybe like a, a Wendy's that has a salad bar? And in the back seat, my brother and I would erupt and say, no, Wendy's doesn't have a playground. We can't stop there. And so then my mom would suggest, well, you all like the gift shop at Cracker Barrel. Let's stop at Cracker Barrel. Then my dad would interrupt, no, 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 that will take way too long. We're not stopping at Cracker Barrel. How about the Waffle House? My mom would interject, I am not using the restroom at a Waffle House. (laughs) 
So finally, we would all agree, let's stop at Chick-fil-A. We all liked Chick-fil-A. But then we looked at our calendars and realized it was Sunday and Chick-fil-A was not open. We continued to argue back and forth and back and forth. Well, that food over there is too expensive, but that food is too cheap. We don't like the French fries there, but that place doesn't even have French fries. We would go around in a circle in the car until finally my father would get fed up and say, we're going to stop at the next place we come to which inevitably was a McDonald's. I don't know if that's ever happened to you, but that happened to us a lot, in fact. It's always important to plan out your stops whenever you go on a road trip. In fact, Jesus and his disciples had to plan out their stops too. In our passage this morning, Jesus is leaving Jerusalem, leaving the area of Judea, and going back up to Galilee where he did most of his ministry, where he and the disciples kind of called home for most of his ministry. But in order to get from Judea to Galilee, they had to go through the region of Samaria. And it's been well chronicled the ways that the Jews and the Samaritans did not get along with each other. They came from the same family. They all came from Father Abraham, but during the exile, they parted ways, and the Samaritans started uh, intermarrying with other cultures and adopting ideas from other cultures, building their own temples, and the Jews started to think that they were unfaithful, even uh, impure. And the Samaritans thought the same thing about the Jews. In fact, there are stories outside of the Bible where Jews and Samaritans fought against each other, killed each other, in fact. And so in order to travel from Judea to Galilee, you had to go through some pretty dangerous territory. And so it was important to plan out where you stopped along the way. Jesus and the disciples have gotten to a city called Sychar right there, kind of in the middle of Samaria. And Jesus has stopped at a crossroads outside of Sychar where there's a a well there. Jesus is staying by the well where the disciples go into town and they're trying to find a, a safe place where they can get good food, holy food, sacred food that is acceptable to them and also a safe place where they can stay safe from other Samaritans. There are all sorts of boundaries, all sorts of reasons that Jews and Samaritans were supposed to avoid each other, stay away from each other, protect themselves from each other. But there, at the well, is a Samaritan woman. And Jesus does the unthinkable. He crosses the boundary and speaks to her. Now, there are all sorts of reasons, I said, why Jesus should have avoided this woman. Number one, she was a Samaritan, strike one. Number two, Jesus was a a rabbi, a teacher, and it would not have been appropriate for him to be speaking and conversing with a woman out in public. That's strike two. And then strike three, if you read on in the story of this Samaritan woman, you find out that she has quite the reputation of her own amongst her own people. Strike three. There were all sorts of boundaries, stop signs in place saying, Jesus, don't talk to her, leave her alone, avoid her at all costs. All sorts of boundaries to keep Jesus safe and maybe even keep the Samaritan woman safe too. And we have those boundaries in our own lives. Some of them are explicit, some of them are implicit. Some of them are big concrete walls and some of them are are implicit boundaries that we keep in our own hearts and in our own ways of, of living and moving in the world. Even now, there's still a big wall that goes down the middle of Belfast that separates Protestant and Catholic communities. There are still checkpoints all throughout the Middle East to try to keep keep people apart who might be warring with each other. 
But even here in our own town, we have our own boundaries that we keep to try to keep ourselves safe or maybe to keep ourselves faithful. I remember when Julianne and I were buying a house, there were things in our own mind, these little implicit ideas that we had just to help us decide where we were going to live. We wanted a house that was not too expensive, but we also didn't want it to be too cheap either. We wanted a house that was in a a neighborhood where we felt safe walking our dogs. We wanted a house in a neighborhood that was in a good school district. We wanted it to be a, a good place, a safe place to live. And we had all of these boundaries in our hearts and in our minds. We have those same boundaries for our churches as well. If you want to worship traditionally, go to that church. If you want to worship in a contemporary way, go to that church. If you want to talk about politics, then you need to go to that church. If you don't want to talk about politics, go to that church. If you want to be able to stand up and dance and raise your hands and worship, go to that church. But if you want to not do that, come to this church. (laughs) We all have our own boundaries, our own criteria, our own litmus test to say, You belong or you don't belong. Jesus set all of these boundaries up. He knew he was not supposed to talk to this woman. But he leaps across that boundary and speaks to her, reaches out to her, and crosses every divide between them. And in doing so, he teaches us a new way of becoming church. A whole new way. A way of becoming church that's not based on are we meeting the right criteria? Are we staying in the right boundaries? But no, we become church by what unites us. That common need that we all have that draws us together. Not the walls that keep the good people in and the bad people out, but that central need that draws us all together. Even though we might have boundaries that are trying to keep us apart. He reached out to her because they both had the same need. They needed water. Jesus says, I'm thirsty. Will you give me something to drink? And he knows that she is thirsty too. She is thirsty for the water of life. It's the same need that every single human being has. Life. We, after all, just said a few minutes ago, we are ashes and dust. We are people in need. And no matter what boundaries we have that keep us divided, those needs for life will always draw us together. And Jesus teaches us that your community can be that way. Your church can be that way if you focus on what draws you together rather than what keeps you apart. Several years ago, there was a man named Alan Hirsch. He's a minister, and and actually Julianne's friends with his wife now, but he wrote a book called The Missional Church. It was written many years ago. And in this book, he talks about this new idea of church, of how churches could be formed. He got this idea while he was traveling, hiking, in fact, across Scotland. He hiked across a, a, a little path there and looked out across a hillside, and he saw Right out there in the hillside was a little pasture. It was fenced in, and there was a a shepherd there letting some sheep in and letting some sheep out. He was watching as he did his work. It was fascinating. He hadn't seen anything like this in America before, and he thought, that's a good example of the church. 
There's a shepherd with a, a boundary there, letting the right sheep in, shooing away the sheep that don't belong to him. That's kind of like what we hear about in Scripture with the sheep and the goats and the shepherd dividing them up. But a few days later, he was hiking in a different part of Scotland and he saw a great, big, huge pasture, much bigger than the one he saw before. And there were no fences around this pasture, but all of the sheep were gathered right in the middle of the field. He found a few farmers who were working there, a few shepherds, and he, he asked them, I noticed you all don't have fences. How do you keep your sheep together? And he said, well, there's no way we could fence in this whole field. It's way too expensive. We couldn't afford the fence if we wanted to. And so he asked, well, then how do you keep all your sheep right there in the middle of the field? And he said, well, we decided one day to dig a well. A well right there in the middle of the field. And we knew that that well would be the source of water, the source of life for all of the sheep. They might come and go here and there, but they would always come back to that source because they needed that water. That's what gave them life. They didn't need the fence around the field. They just needed that central source that every single creature and animal could come and receive that water of life from. Alan Hirsch said this is the way the church could be. A church, a missional church, is one that listens for the needs of the people around the community and digs a great deep well to answer those needs. It doesn't worry about who's in or who's out, who belongs or who doesn't belong. It just worries about those deep needs that every single person has. The need for food, yes. The need for water, but the need for community, the need to be loved, the need to be valued, the need for forgiveness, the need for meaning, the need for purpose, the need for hope, the need for life. Those were things that crossed boundaries. Those were things that were not, that no one had cornered the market on those things. And yet if the church dug a deep well to answer those needs, a deep well that sprung forth the water of life, that life in Jesus Christ, that people would come and have their needs filled by this water they couldn't get anywhere else. Let me give you an example of that. Some of you might remember back in 2018, there was a, a shooting in Kentucky, a, a few black people were killed, and so out in Los Angeles, there was an AME church that decided they were going to have a service of healing in response to all of the shootings that were happening. But just after that shooting took place, just a few days later, you might remember another shooting took place at a synagogue in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And the people in this AME church, they thought, well, you know what, we might not be the only people who need some healing right now. And so they called down to a synagogue just a few blocks down from them and asked them if they wanted to come to this service of healing and wholeness with them. And Temple Isaiah, it was called. They invited them to come and join them, and they did. But they started to think, you know, there may be other people in our community that need a, a service of healing like this. So let's just fling our doors wide and see who comes. Other people who have been hurt and lost and rejected. People who have faced racism and prejudice. People of all kinds who just need to come and be healed. Be together. And so they joined together for a service of healing and wholeness. People of all kinds, of all religions, of all shapes and sizes. At the end of the service, they sang a song by a Pentecostal pastor. His name was Hezekiah Walker. 
The words of the song go like this. I need you. You need me. We're all a part of God's body. Stand with me. Agree with me. We're all a part of God's body. It is God's will that every need will be supplied. You are important to me. I need you to survive. Can you imagine this group of people from all walks of life singing this to each other? You are important to me. I need you to survive. Jesus had every reason to stay away from this Samaritan woman, but He said, no, you are important to me. We both need this water, this water of life. So let's not let all of those other things get in the way. Let's come together and be filled. Have our lives filled with this water of life that can only come from the love of God. That's a missional church. That's not a church that has a mission. That's a mission that has a church. It's a church that's focused on what God is calling it to do, not focused on what it wants to do. And that's who we could become if we just thought of what unites us rather than what divides us. You know, a couple of years ago, Julianne and I were up in Thomasville eating at Moonspin Pizza. It was October, and our front lawn was filled with pumpkins. You know that time of year that I'm talking about. But it was also this year, you may not remember this, there were some supply chain issues, and so there, were, there was a shortage of pumpkins all over our city. We were one of the few places that had pumpkins. And while I was sitting there eating my pizza with Julianne, I heard a family next to us, and the mother was talking to the children, and she said, I don't know where we're going to get pumpkins this year. I want you to know I about jumped up out of my seat. I'll tell you in a jiffy where you can get your pumpkins. Faith Presbyterian Church in Tallahassee. She needed pumpkins. I knew where she could get them. But come to think of it, I hear a lot of people talking about things they need. There are people every day around me that say, I'm hungry, I need food. I'm thirsty and I need water. I'm struggling for a place to live and I need help. There are people who are feeling despised and rejected by other places. They're brokenhearted and they need healing. There are people that have lost their sense of direction. They need direction. They need meaning. They need forgiveness. Or maybe more than anything else, they look on TV and they see death and destruction and they need hope and they need life. Well, I hope the next time I hear that or you hear that, you jump up out of your seat and you say, guess what? I need that too. And the good news is, I know exactly where we can find it. To the glory of God. Amen.